Oh boy, welcome everybody. It's office hours and we have a treat because my co-host today is the incredible Brian Bogert at Bogert Brian, although his email is brian at bogert.com and I'm figuring this out because I do a show with him called Breaking Beyond with Brian and uh, we are blessed, Brian, to have you here on office hours to give us great commentary as well as uh, questions so that we can bring out the best in our friend J.V. Crum. Uh, he is the founder of the Conscious Millionaire Institute. Uh, he's a mentor of mine. I've studied for years all of the great content that he's put out there, and we share so many philosophies. I have blended my philosophy so much, I don't know how many things I've stolen from him or utilized and made into my own, but I'm sure he's taken some great things from others as well. So we're just continuing the abundance of content uh, welcome the, the, the limit, limitless abundance. That's the most important part is it's limitless and it's ever expanding. And that's why all of us can get wealthy together a lot faster than we can alone. And yet we're taught uh, about the zero sum game. That's right, somehow there's a winner. Well, that's, that's musical chairs when we're growing up, right? You know, it's like you get up and you do a little music thing, you dance around, you're five years old and they take away a chair and you go, Oh, what happened? You know, but I believe it's the opposite. I believe we get up and we dance around and all of a sudden there are a bunch more chairs. Exactly. Because if you believe it's there, it's yeah. there. And it's not just because I believe it's there. It's because it actually is there. Is. And the difference is, are you aware? Are you conscious of it? Are you embracing it? Are you bringing it into your life? It's like, you know, right now I'm doing a launch and, you know, I said, everybody wins if everybody wins bigger. You know, when I do deals with people, I'm an attorney, but I look from the other side and I go, well, how are we all going to win bigger? Because that's how we can play. But the problem is it isn't that there's one pie. The question is, how many pies do you want to bake? And our thoughts and our feelings come first. And then yeah, the effect. Mindset, mindset is everything. Absolutely. I agree. And you, you and I both, I'm a recovering lawyer myself and grew up in a very competitive, there's a term in law school that you learn called quid pro quo. Oh, right? yes. And right. it's probably the most scarce of all philosophies of negotiations, uh, of giving well, and receiving. Well, I kind of knew what I was in for when the first semester of law school, you know, you take contracts, right? And um, we'd get cases assigned and I'd go to the library and none of us could find the case book. And it was because it was somebody in our in our somebody in our class would go copy it back in the old days when you copied stuff, and then they'd hide it on a different floor. It wouldn't be found for weeks, and none of us could prepare for class. And I went, "Well, these are the people. I, these are the profession that I'm training for. This is what they're <laughs> like, right? Is they're hiding the casebooks so you can't even prepare for class? Oh my gosh! And that, that's but, why I made millions. In but West that's West. the scarcity mindset. That's <laughs> like the scarcity right, mindset. We, we, Right. We have to go and we have to somehow manipulate the system because we can't all win together. But I believe we can all win together. I think there, that be, by winning together, we all win bigger and that that's the world that I want to help create. I call it a conscious world where everybody can win. And Brian, listening to this uh, lawyer friend of mine with his great first million masterclass coming up here in the end of January, uh, January 26, a six week course, you're someone who's not a lawyer. Um, you're someone that was forced into abundance through a physical injury, an accident. What comes to your mind and what are you thinking about when you see JV? Like what question comes to mind in this shift of perspective or paradigm? Yeah, so I, I think so often it's to the what I had said before, belief. You got to believe it's there. Right. I think that for so many, 
you can believe in faith, but you have to see it actually manifest over time to start believing even more where you get to tap into the true power and potential. So when you're kind of one of the world experts on flow and synchronicity and like this limitless idea, which by the way, I love that you say limitless because all of our stuff is around no limits. I just genuinely believe there are no limits to what we can accomplish, how we can manifest and how we can operate. But when you see someone starting to hit that wall, they they're doubting, they're not actually lowering down their guard enough to lean in to what is already there. What is one of the best ways that you have helped people bridge that gap so they can start to see the results so they can feel further into it? Well, I'm glad you asked that because actually at the first million masterclass, I'm going to reveal a formula that I use literally with my $50,000 clients to help them do exactly that. And so I want to pull back the curtain just a little bit today, give a little teaser. Let's talk awesome. about, I know we're all really good friends with, with Elon Musk. Probably we've, we've all been on his plane and yachts and everything. No. I'm, I'm just saying that, right? But when we think about Elon Musk, I've literally asked this all over the world, thousands of people, do you believe that Elon Musk can send a rocket to Mars with people on it? And almost everybody says yes. And then I go, well, let's flip the coin. Let's ask you, do you believe that you can do that? And virtually no one says yes. They all say no. And I go, well, what's the difference? Is, is Elon literally that much smarter well, probably not. I mean, he's smart enough to hire rocket scientists, but I don't think that's the answer. I think that the real secret that's going on here is about possibility. Mm -hmm. And Elon Musk has engaged into two possibilities. The first one is that it's actually possible, which is, which is what you were saying, Brian. So it's possible to send the rocket. But then he's gone further and he said, and it's possible for me. Now I can tell you, he went a third step and his culture at his business, SpaceX, he doesn't hire anybody who doesn't already believe that. You don't want a rocket yeah. science who says, oh, no, we could never get there. And so what I do is I create a possibility map for people. And I'm, I'm going to give you one of the questions that I ask, and it just starts unlocking. If you want to achieve X and Y time, so X is a big goal, Y is Y time. What must you believe is possible? in order mm. to achieve that X goal in Y time. And then it starts unraveling and people will start with a big statement, right? And then I'll go, well, what's possible? What must be possible? Say like, you got to send a rocket ship to Mars with people on it. Well, the, at first it'd have to be possible that you can build rocket ships, right? And then it'd have to also be possible. People would be crazy enough to want to go on the ship, right? So you keep raveling through those possibilities and eventually you'll get down to a very simple step that you believe you can do today. Mm. And that's the beginning of the possibility journey. And that's how I help people unlock all kinds of possibilities for their business, for their life, for their finances, is we simply start creating these possibility maps and asking that question over and over again. And I love that you said unlock. I, you know, I love this word unlock, unbridled, right? Unlimited. Um, and, and I think the thing that is really interesting listening to you talk. I know that in my own experience, this is how I have processed it. So I'd be curious how you translate this to others who haven't experienced it for the first time. Sure. The higher I've raised my level of consciousness, the more mm -hmm. I allow, allow wisdom to flow through me versus having to right. access knowledge. And that's how I experience. And it sounds like when you're unlocking, you're really getting people to surrender, to try to not take the control and drive it a direction, but yes. instead allow it to come to them through thought, intention, and action. Um, 
how would well, you describe that to folks who haven't experienced it? Yes, yeah, so that's a great, a great question. And it also happens to be part of what I'm going to teach at the first million masterclass. I call it the millionaire inner zone. So gosh, 30 years ago, I became curious. I, I have a master's in clinical psych as well, and a lot of training in NLP. And, you know, some days I woke up and everything worked out and it was just perfect. And then other days it was like a misery, like nothing went right. And call me crazy, but I'm not a masochist. So I wanted more of the days when the flow was happening and I started exploring what's happening. So I think to your question, Brian, it's the first to ask someone this question. Have you ever had a time in your life when everything just seemed to magically come together? And I can guarantee you, even the most miserable human being on the planet has had a moment like that. I call that your millionaire inner zone, your flow. And then I developed a three-step formula because I developed formulas. And usually there are three steps. And I'll tell you the first step of it uh, came out of I went and lived at a Buddhist monastery for a while. Mm. Now, I lived at the Buddhist monastery because I was particularly interested in this thing called meditation. And I reasoned as a good lawyer that the Buddhist monastery might be the best place to learn that because that seemed to be, from the best I could tell, about all they did. And it's true. Having lived there, other than eating meals, you just meditate a lot. And that meditation process is what brings you into that present moment. Mm -hmm. But now everybody's not going to learn to meditate at the level that I have. So I said, well, I got to make this easy for people. And here's what I've discovered. If I have people just take three deep breaths slowly in and out and, and it takes less than a minute and i do this on my webinars frequently they immediately get into the present moment and the present moment is where flow begins because you can't get into flow in the past or future because they actually don't exist the only thing that actually exists in life in reality in consciousness is the present moment and when we get in that present moment we start getting into that flow. And when you get into that flow, synchronicity starts happening. And that's the things when the phone rings or you go and you look at a website or I woke up uh, Friday morning. I woke up and, and I, I asked myself, I do this as, as, when I go to bed, who should I call? I called someone. I'll leave it, you know, who the person was blank. And, and I called them to talk about multiple possibilities we ended up talking about a lot more. We ended up having a one hour conversation that resulted in direct business deals that we did right then. And so I say to myself, that's the synchronicity. That's the intuition. But you have to take action on it. What if I had not made that call? Right. Because I said to myself, well, you know, I'm kind of busy today. Maybe I'll call him Monday. Well, in the course of the conversation, Monday was a holiday and they weren't going to be there. And then Tuesday, I would have been busy with something else. So maybe I never would have made that call. So I've learned that when an inkling comes in that I should contact someone, bang. I contact mm. and usually there's a synchronicity that comes out of it that benefits both of us. Hmm. Yeah, I lo love that and just finished for the second time, Surrender Experiment. Oh, um, yes. Great, great book. Right. Michael A. Singer, billionaire who deals with reconciling three things, possibilities. And I always say one of the lessons I've learned from your 34 best-selling uh, books, however many there are, I think I'm right, but uh, is this idea that, you know, a certain percentage of people don't even think about what's possible. And then even a fewer percentage of people don't become inspired of what's probable, uh, but even fewer, they get the callings. They, they know possibilities yeah. and probabilities. It's like the universe is calling up, folks. Do something yeah. here. Exactly. Right? And, they, and they don't. And 
it's so amazing that uh, the people that have visited or, you know, I've studied quantum healing and theta of energy, spend right. hours and hours meditating. Michael Singer, the same thing. And he actually only wanted to meditate the rest of his life. And he, the lessons he learned through meditation. They did ask me when I started to leave the Buddhist monastery, he said, would you just like to stay here the rest of your life? And I had to honestly tell them they didn't quite get it because I have all these plans of how I want to change the world. Right. And I said, well, I actually have some other things I want to do. I'll keep meditating, but you know, I have, I have, I have a world I want to go out there and impact. Uh, but I get people staying there because their vibration is what's uplifting us. Oh, so yeah. I totally support that. I just yeah. said, you know, this time around or whatever, I've got some other stuff to do. How, how do you reconcile? Because, you know, obviously all three of us coach many people. We teach right. many people. We write books. We speak. We have podcasts, all the great things. But the most difficult thing for me to explain is when to take action. And I've tried mm -hmm. to use varying chains of feeding and bleeding to, you know, do a pragmatic approach like you, you know, three different things. How do you explain to people, okay, when you get a calling, now you have to bring it into the pragmatic world and evaluate, is it worth my time? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, one of the things I do with my private clients, and, and I bring that into all my group programs as well, and it changes things so significantly. And it sounds so simple, but I trust me, the moment I say it, you'll go, yeah, but that's kind of hard, is I go, you've got to determine what are the top 10% that matters. And you just don't do the other. And there's only three things you can do with all that rest. You can delegate it. You can postpone it and say, this 30 days, this is my number one priority because I'm very big on you only get one number one priority. And that's a problem entrepreneurs have because we've got so many great ideas. We want to have 10 number one priorities every 30 days. And I go, but you can't accomplish those. So I make my clients choose one. You know, some of them hate me that day, but, you know, they'll, they'll be happy in 30 days. Or you just decide it's not important because eventually if it's never number one and never number one and never know, well, maybe it wasn't that important. Maybe it wasn't as high a level of an idea to yeah. act on as these other ideas, because you're right. We have to sort through a many ideas that inspire us. You know, the three of us could get in a room and in one day we could come up with a hundred great ideas, but we can't, the yeah. problem is we can't <laughs> act on them all. Right. So you still have to decide which business are you building, which customers are you working with, which problem are you solving? Those are the practical things of business. And you can't solve all the problems. It's like I know a lot about marketing, but I'm not a marketing agency. You know, for one of my clients, I'm hiring a marketing agency for them because that's what they need. And that needs to handle that piece of it. I go, I can't be your marketing agency because right. that's not what I do. That's so brilliant. Well, you just said that was really, really profound. And I, I want to make sure that the one piece gets really ingrained and people can take away from it. You just said, like, you've got to select that top 10%, right? And if you don't get to it month after month after month, it maybe wasn't that important. Right. What many people do, what you're teaching there is to release it as it's no longer a priority. It's gone. So give yourself the grace and compassion. But what a lot of people do is keep it on the list and keep perpetually focusing on, well, I'll get to it someday. Well, I'll get to it someday. Can you talk about what the impact is quickly uh, for sure. someone who doesn't know how to release, but instead holds on? Yeah. So what that does is it eats up your energy. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And all of us, even I'm, I'm very highly connected to higher consciousness and a lot of energy is flowing through me. It's how I do my coaching, but I can still only, I still, even though it's limitless, I still have to make decisions each day of what I'm focusing on. Now I'm a very big batcher person. 
So like today I'm writing emails after this, and then I'm doing a, you know, a webinar after that. And then I'm, you know, having meetings, but I think the, the profound questions that are really the ones that drive this is I'm very much about helping people get clear about their purpose. I believe every one of us has a purpose for being here. There's, you can, you make up whatever story you want about how we got here. I'm not that interested in that. I'm interested in what we do once we get here. And I know that we have a purpose. I know that the three of us right now at this particular moment, this is not an accident. And I know that the people hearing us, it's not an accident. And they're supposed to, and someone will hear the recording because that was how they needed to digest this. But if we don't use our purpose and the, the bigger impact that we feel we're on the planet to make is our number one criteria, it makes it harder to choose those priorities because we can be like a boat that's going in all kinds of directions. But, you know, I'm here to help the world become more conscious, to help entrepreneurs create real wealth by making a positive impact in the world. So some people come to me and they go, oh, I just want to make a lot of money. I thought that's great. It's not happened to be what I do. So I'm not your coach. But you can there are plenty of people out there that want to do that. But if you want to know how to put the two together, I want to be the best on the planet because that's what I do. And you do it. Everyone needs to visit ConsciousMillionaire.com forward slash First Million Masterclass starting January 26th for six weeks. Uh, you know, I always say, the, and you remind me every time I hear you, every time I see you, the only thing that's going to die in this journey is limitations and uh, our embodiment being the last limitation that will pass. But if we can have that perspective, the one that we're empowered by J.B. Crumb to allow the limitations to die, to live in the infinite, live between limitlessness and infinity in an abundant universe. Even if you're lawyers like Dave Meltzer and Mr. Crumb, or even like Brian, we all have enough of everything. You're just adding to what already exists. You're not taking away any last nuggets, any piece of advice. Yes. I, I want to invite everybody to come join me on the first million masterclass. It's 100% free. It's live. Bring your questions. And I'm going to teach you the specific formula that will answer the three problems every conscious business owner has. How do I make more sales? How do I make more profits? And how do I make a bigger impact on the world with my life and business? I'm going to give you a specific formula, teach you how to use it so you can immediately start applying it to increase the sales, profits, and impact. He's amazing. Come and join us again and make sure you hook up with Mr. Bogart. He has some shows as well. I know you two guys can do tremendous things together. Thanks for being a great mentor to me and to so many throughout your career. We look forward to your, your masterclass as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, JB. Take care, Thanks. my friend. Incredible, man. He is, it's legendary. Dude, I could feel his vibration. People don't, I think, appreciate, meaning add value to someone like that, that you know, not only has the knowledge, but, you know, throughout decades, 34 best-selling books, you know, being, uh, learning to meditate and, and living in a monastery. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the courage to do that. I don't have uh, the, the knowledge or the patience yet to do that. I spend 20 minutes a day uh, for over 16 years meditating without missing a day. Uh, but I, I can't comprehend what that type of download would do uh, to my awareness or vibration or frequency. Limitless performer mindset strategy coach. Uh, check him out. All right, we got a few minutes before our next guest comes on. B, I, I, you know, you're, you're my super guest here, super host, super guest. 
you know, I'm wondering when you meet someone like JV Crumb and he comes up with the consciousmillionaire.com and you hear about the first million masterclass and what he's doing to me at least is regurgitating similar philosophies that we have, right? Oh, yeah. Sim similar, but he articulates them in a different way. Uh, and it's not what he says, it's what we hear. And I heard things differently uh, about some of the similar concepts that I teach and I learn and, you know, every day I'm exploring. For you, what was one of those things before we bring Hamish on? Uh, what was one of those things that he said differently uh, that you heard of a concept that you already knew uh, but uh, now have been able to, you know, reassess or, or assimilate because of the way he explained it. Yeah. So I think it really was around how he was describing uh, the formula and helping people move through. So it was the answer to the very first question that I asked him. So when someone needs to feel it in order to start getting the momentum, what he's doing is he's helping them understand by transferring them into a place where they were in flow. They did have things easy and happen. And I will tell you that that's not often something that I have, in fact, never probably used with one of my clients where it's like, where was a time where you were already in flow to get them to understand the feeling that already exists within them. And so like his ability to bring it back to the now, but also experience a prior situation to experience what he's trying to get people to do all the time by being plugged in with their consciousness. I just thought that was really powerful. And I've never heard anybody let necessarily break it down. Like that's the very first step. Imagine a day that you already did that. Yeah. I, lo I love people like JV because he's able to articulate a quantitative value in a different manner that that yeah. expands my knowledge even further and allows me to have the capability of empowering others. All right. Pamela made it. So we have Pamela Shane house. Sorry. Uh, you never say sorry. Always say thank you for your patience, especially when the internet is involved. It has a much better energy to it. Uh, and so uh, we appreciate Hamish uh, will be in the, in the waiting room here. This is Brian Bogart, my dear friend. But Pamela is the president and founder of the Shane House Group. Um, and we want to talk about your future book coming out and the consultancy that you do. We don't have a title to this book yet, but it's talk about... about it an important journey coming from a mama's boy uh, taken by a mother, yourself and your daughter of resilience, courage, strength, and uh, allowing us to share not only in the story, but the lessons that you've learned in one of the most, if not the most important relationship uh, that exists between parent and child. What was it in this journey? What, what is the premise of the story and the lessons that we're going to learn from this future book? Well, David, and uh, I'm sorry, I have my glasses Brian, on, so I Brian, go, Brian. Brian, it's okay. You can call me Hey You. It's all right. I, I've done stuff for years with a guy. I call him Bogart. Uh, I call him Brian. I call him B. Whatever I can think of, I call him. I got to tell you, my brand new MacBook Air didn't like the, the StreamYard. So now I'm on a little phone, you know, when I'm sitting here. You're good. To You're good. Get out without my glasses. Anyway, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, the journey that unfortunately I had to take was a seven-year journey with my daughter, Allie, who was diagnosed at the age of 19 with uh, stage 4B, which is the worst stage you can have, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And Allie and I were kind of tied to our hip. Like we were, we answered our own things. People actually asked me if I was her sister. And she would say, what the hell does that mean? Like, <laughs> I look that old. 
we were very, very close. And um, she's been guiding me along the way for, for the past 15 years since she's been gone. She died at the age of 26 after the seven year battle of having a bone marrow transplant, a stem cell transplant, and just living in living with life. She got married. And I have learned to live my life so much better because of what she has taught me. The loss of a child is something that I would never, ever, even my worst enemy, I wouldn't put this on anybody. But, and so many parents decide that they're just going to end their lives because of it. And I have two boys that I'm incredibly fortunate to have. And I have two grandchildren who are the best parts of, yeah, I'm not going to say this, but I better not say this because I'm sure my boys will, will see this. So they, they know, know the how truth. important they, they know, know the, the truth. truth. <laughs> I always say, if you could go from right straight to grandchildren, that'd be <laughs> nice. So that's what my, that's what my parents said when we had kids. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing like it. And you guys won't be able to understand it until you, you have that privilege of having grandchildren. And believe it or not, this book has been, I've been writing this book forever. And I have my, my youngest son who has said to me, you know, either blank or get off the pot. Like enough already, would you finish the damn book? So um, I'm hoping that it will be published this year. Sorry, I'm hearing some background here. Uh, published this year, still working on trying to find an agent and all of those other things. So I'm putting that out there, everybody. But, you know, I, I live my life a lot, not, not only for myself, but to build her legacy hmm. because she was such a huge presence. She had such a huge presence in that, 29, 20, that 26 years that she was on, on this earth. And I think that I know that this book will be something that will show other parents, no matter what they're going through, whether they're having struggles with their kids or, or anything like that, that the resilience to stay positive and to be there to help their kids is the most important thing. I take a look at some mothers and daughters and they were sitting at the restaurant, although I haven't been to a restaurant, I can't remember the last time I was in a restaurant because, you know, we are in lockdown here. Um, but I see them both sitting with their with their phones. They're not even looking at each other. They're not having a conversation. They're in their own worlds. And I sit there, all I want to do is go up to them and shake them. And I can't tell you that I haven't come close <laughs> to, a, to a little bit. I guess you can tell by my personality, things really don't stop me. And I was so <laughs> close to turning around and saying, you know what? I'd give anything in the world to be able to have an opportunity to hug my daughter again. Anything. I would give up anything. And you two are sitting here, and I don't think you really appreciate it. And the truth is that things change in a second. Mm -hmm. There is a phone call that can come to you that your child has cancer or, yeah. God forbid, was run over by a, a, a truck or any of these things in one moment things change. You don't appreciate what you have now and take it through on a daily basis and just keep on looking at, oh my God, my kids are healthy. If your kids are healthy, you are, like I can't say anything else. If you're healthy, you've got a family, all good. Yeah.
and Brian, before you, you comment real quick, I just, it came to mind. I see people all the time, whether it's mother, daughter, even friends, associates that have that disassociation while they're spending time with one another. And I will, I won't shake anyone, but I'll, I'll walk by, put my hand on a shoulder and tell someone, please don't take for granted what other people are wishing for. And I let that sink in. Love that line, David. And it's so a gentle, great. kind line. And I'll say, bless you. I'll pray for your happiness. And I walk away because I believe I'm planting seeds under trees that I may not sit under, uh, but trees nonetheless. And, and I know the energy and frequency of that comment. And it goes a lot further than I know I want to shake them as well uh, in those situations. Brian, you, you have uh, a, a lot of alignment with this. Uh, because as, as much as loss uh, that happens in our lives, you know, I couldn't imagine what your mother felt like when you were a little boy getting crushed between two cars in a parking lot and almost oh died. Oh my God. Well, actually uh, what was interesting, Pamela, me, is I was actually run over by a truck. But the example you gave, my dad got the call that their son was run over by a truck. So you gave two examples, one that was relevant to you, one that was very relevant to me. There is that is not coincidence that those are the words. I did not know mouth. anything, Brian. Nobody gave me a heads up. So yeah, um, and so deeply, deeply identify uh, as as not only the individual uh, who went through it, but through now being an adult and having that time with my family and having kids of my own and having my son having passed the age I was when my injury took place. The value and importance of recognizing that every single minute matters. You know, we talk about this idea of helping parents recognize that it's sometimes important just to embrace the pain of the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile devices at the dinner table so they can avoid the suffering of lost of years of meaningful connection and conversation they'll never get back. And so the work that you're doing is absolutely important. Um, what's also inspiring to me is how you have been honoring your daughter since she left. And what you've done as a result of that, which is absolutely impressive. I mean, even being able to be instrumental in helping develop the term curve fashion to allow people to feel comfortable in their own skins and allow us to learn and teach each other to embrace whatever's embodied through each person. So could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to go down that path, how you've used her fuel and fire to really propel that mission of yours forward because the impact you're having is significant. Uh, thank you very much. That was, uh, you know, I wish I was recording this so I could play it back we, to my kids all the time. We got it for you. We'll, we'll send <laughs> it to all your kids. We'll send it to your grandkids too. I appreciate that. Um, you know what? I started, my whole business career started in philanthropy. I raised multi-million dollar campaigns. By the time I was finished, although I'm not finished because I'm a president of a charity that my daughter started called Allie's Journey for Young Adults with Cancer. And so, I, you know, I will never be finished doing that. But my world in fashion really started with my daughter, Allie, who had gained 80 pounds during her treatment mm. and was incredibly fashion forward, loved fashion. And we could buy some clothes at that time in the States, but she was having treatment. So she needed some jeans. So I walked into a store that was very similar to your Lane Bryant in the States. And she sat on a bench that was right there and she started to cry. Hmm. And I said, why are you crying? And she says, I'm not going into that store. They've already told me that I'm fat. It was a plus size store. They've already told me that I'm fat because I have to go into that store, not any other store. I can't shop anywhere else. I have to go into that store. They are told, they told me that I'm
Oh, I think I'm guessing. Know. Are you there, You're Pamela? Back. Yeah, You're back. I silenced my phone. It's oh, okay. If if our um, car if our cars work like this uh, stream, where was I? I and, and she had a very great sense of humor, and she said, "Mommy, my body deserves better than what she called Polly and Esther, Polly and Esther <laughs> from Asia." I like and it. And now I'm from a manufacturing family. My father had the largest uh, manufacturer of children's wear in Canada at the time. So I think the schmutta gene is inside of you forever. <laughs> and I said to her at that time, you know what, when you're better, we're going to start a clothing line. Unfortunately, she didn't get better, but she gave me the tools on what she saw was important. And we were a very successful brand at the time. We were made in Canada and we were made from sustainable product and we were size diverse, which at that time, nobody understood. Wow. What is that? And, um, Things went very well until a time that I had to put it on a back burner. It's only on a back burner now. And I've taken everything that I've done. And now I've developed a company called the Shane House Group that works in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging for various other corporations. Although my sweet spot will always be in the fashion world. And you're doing an incredible job. We appreciate you. We are going to have you back on other shows. Really, we are going to... Uh, Move on to Hamish and uh, David. I can't hear you. I apologize. Can you hear me, Brian? I can hear you. What yep. Happened? We'll, uh, Matt. We'll uh, say goodbye and thank you uh, to Pamela. I'm uh, deeply, deeply touched and inspired. But we will have her back as well. We have other shows um, because what an extraordinary journey. I love when people not only have a great story, but they actually learn the lessons and then help yeah. other people with those lessons, not just in their family, but changing the face of plus size fashion and uh, inclusion and, and equity, which is so important. But we got to keep moving because I got to get yep. to an airport to get to Vegas. And uh, I want to be conscious of my boy, Brian Bogert's time at Bogert Bryant. Hamish Thompson's here. He's the global leadership executive and he has a new book. I can see him in the back touched uh, by Pamela um, man, you could not have a better title than one of my biggest interferences in my life. I always say I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy, but what am I doing to interfere with it? And the title of your books, it's not always right to be right and other hard-won leadership lessons. I have a terrible need to be right and offended, and I have wasted time, emotion, value, and money as a leader, someone who's known as a leader, and I still spend minutes and moments with the need to be right and offended. Uh, when I'm questioned, um, for you, you talk about these hard won leadership lessons, you know, why pick that lesson to be in the title of your book, this need to be right. Hey, David. Hey, Brian. It's, um, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? I think with lockdown and COVID at the moment, I've probably been told by my kids and my wife more than I have within a 30 year career of being sort of CEO within Mars Inc, et cetera. But to be honest, I think from a family perspective, I've been told more often than not in the last two years, stop being right. So it is an interesting <laughs> one within that. I think we all relate to it. As an, on my perspective from it, I've um, unashamed, I've been a corporate guy for 30 odd years, Reebok, Mars, advertising, etc. And when you grow up, I think as a very young leader, you believe that you need to be right every single time. So every dialogue, discussion, debate, you intellectually spar back and forth and you think there has to be a winner and a loser. And 
I was actually okay at it. I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. But to be honest, when you started to reflect, it's incredibly limiting. I thought my opinion was right. So my thought diversity was very limited. And great leaders, I think, value the thoughts of others ahead of themselves. The relationships that you had, which is absolutely key, breakthrough, when I look through my results, it only actually happened on relationships on stage two and three. So if you've really annoyed someone and pissed them off to begin with about being right, you don't get there. And then the last one, which really hurt me sort of from a leader, you don't unlock potential of those around you. When you don't let people challenge you when it's your agenda and it's always right, they get into inertia and they resign to not actually putting their hand up. So I think on that, we've sort of learned through observation, um, humility, concession, it's not always right to be right. And it's just, a, I think it's a better philosophy all over. It's a hard philosophy, but I think a better philosophy. Brian, how do you work with individuals who are attached, right? Who have the drive towards a specific outcome or a particular answer, the desire to be right? Okay, I think there's a whole lot of factors sometimes that ingrain why we get that way. But what is one of the first things you do to help someone unravel that? and start to lean into a position of being less attached? I think the very key to it, and it's, uh, it's good to be driven and you do want those results-oriented you know, people. And let's face it, that's, what's, uh, that's what makes so many people successful. I think the very first thing is I will actually test their curiosity. Um, are they insanely curious around new ideas, perspectives? And over time, when people do open up, I had an old boss who in Asia Pacific used to tell me that your mind works like a parachute, best when open. Yeah. And when you do get exposed to these things, you start to sort of sit back and think to yourself, gee, okay, somebody else's direction is actually better than mine and it can amplify that idea. So I think the very first thing, Brian, that I would say is, have you got perspective? Are you insanely curious? And then start reflecting over time, where do you get those levels of breakthrough? And I think the other one, which um, I've got a hiring philosophy now that I always follow, C plus W is greater than E. Curiosity and willingness is greater than experience. And when mm. somebody's curious and they've got passion behind it, you can overcome a technical or a functional limitation as well. So, um, But uh, as I say, it's not right for everyone. Um, people have difference, uh, difference of opinions on it, but uh, I think it seems to work. You know, both of us share the great success uh, with big companies and uh, this need to be right, need to be offended, need to be inferior and superior that exists within the bureaucracy of Mars and Reebok and, and big companies that I've worked with and that you've led. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, as an executive that was 24 years old and a millionaire in the touch, it wasn't just my ego of an ignorant arrogance that I needed to be right. It was people were afraid to tell me that I was wrong. Mm. And in the end, people asked me, hey, Dave, you know, in 2008, how the hell do you lose over $100 million? And I said, because I took yes for an answer. Um, and, mm. you know, you, you know, as a sports agent, I would warn the athletes that I represented when I was working with Lee Steinberg, don't take yes for an answer. You know, it's one thing. You are a great leader. But the greatest leaders are more than just leaders. They're intelligent followers. And mm. I love the eloquence of how you explained how you can be an intelligent follower using the curiosity and the humility as your guidepost to learn from and allow you know, yourself to follow people that have 
certain skills, knowledge, and even desire that you may not have that can only expand and grow and collaborate a coordinated movement, which creates, not to go back to our first guest, but this abundant limitlessness uh, atmosphere in the entrepreneur side of things. When in your career, because obviously you must have had the same experience as me as a global brand leader, president of everybody telling you yes, when did you come to the epiphany that, wait a second, I might be a great leader, but I'm not Midas. I, I am humble and I, I have a lot to learn here. I don't know what I don't know. I better start being an intelligent follower. Listen, I, th I think I went through that at a, a very early stage in my career. And I've, I've always, uh, there's that adage about what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I think even back in my advertising days in London, I started out as a copywriter and I was a crap copywriter. I was quickly moved on. But the encouragement was to actually stretch and challenge yourself and almost embrace that failure. And I think through observation, experience, and sort of insight, when you fail and you realize that you haven't been right, as long as you're actually looking for that insight and do something with the insight, because as you guys know, there's a massive difference between being self-aware and self-development. So if you're looking for that insight, the context behind it, I think then you actually take that and become uh, become a, a different person and enhance on that. But there is a confidence, I think, that comes with it, that acknowledging that you actually learn most when you're wrong. And there's a, I'm a New Zealander by, uh, from birth, and now all-black sex coach, a chap called Sir, Sir Steve Hansen. And he talks around a concept called, you don't need to lose to learn, but it sure helps. <laughs> and it is so true. So when you lose... You go in, you scrutinize everything. You don't ruminate, and that's dangerous psychologically, but you reflect, you analyze, et cetera. And as long as you get that content and context, you'll become so much better. So uh, I learned that um, very early career, unfortunately, I've been part of great companies that actually supported that. So I love that. Um, and I love the way that you just outlined that. Because yes, I think our failures and loss are typically what allow us to realize that loss isn't that big of a deal and we can stop trying to play not to lose and shift ourselves to playing to win when we understand those variables. I heard a quote earlier that I thought was really interesting. And it was this concept that we need to be more curious than judgmental. And it, you know, as you're talking and we're talking about this need to be right, I know that for me, the moments when I felt the need to do it, it's when I'm an ego-based consciousness rooted in insecurity and it's tapping into my shame. So I feel the need to defend something. Right. Even something that doesn't even need to be defended, something as simple as my wife asking me what we could do on the weekend with the kids. And I hear it through the lens of I haven't been a good husband and father. And so I rattle off defensively the 10 things I've done in the last four days to show that I am. Right. And so when I realize that, that, that that's where I live and so many of the leaders that I work with, it's really an emotional trigger that we're getting into. We live in such a society right now where shame is so prevalent and so subtle and embedded in so many of the things that we do. We are so disconnected and people feel less safe and protected than they ever have, right? So it's when we feel the need to defend is when we protect ourselves, we have that armor up, right? So um, how in the current world would you advise leaders to create environments of safety so that they can breed environments and cultures of curiosity? I think, um, I think your very first element is that psychological safety is, uh, is key. A lot of leaders, and I've done it in the past, you, you talk around wanting to be risk takers. Now, I'm someone, um, there's two types of satisfaction, those who are constantly dissatisfied 
and those who are healthily. I've got constant. Even when things work, I want to do new, I want to do different. Now, the danger on that, you're demanding things that are new, embrace risk orientation. But if you're a perfectionist, you're never going to encourage people to take risk. If you hold people 100% to account and you are not actually supporting them and letting them embrace failure, looking for that insight, it's absolutely negative as well that comes on. And I think, Brian, you, you talk around everyone's got a view, and I turn that already always listening. When somebody's actually saying something to you directly, you've already got in your mind from that. And we do know that those best leaders, they are the ones who sit, sit back. They seek to understand before being understood. They're the last ones to actually speak within that sense and they take it all in and then they build from it. But there is nothing worse than having yes people around you. Mm. And particularly when you start a new job at any stage through an imposter syndrome, you get into prove mode. And prove mode just helps no one. It doesn't challenge a leader. You get no thought diversity coming through as well. So I think it's, a, it's very common. And I have a chapter within the book called Bad Bosses Are Great Bosses. And even those bad bosses that uh, go against everything we know, you learn a lot from them. You actually ingrain yourself about what not to do and versus what to do. And it's a negativity bias. But I think I've learned more around from bad bosses than I have about the great ones and hopefully never to repeat. I have to comment on that, Amos, because I feel the same way. My parents, I had an extraordinary mother and a father who I learned more from uh, of what I didn't want to do or what not to do uh, than my mother, who I uh, idolized and, and wanted to, in a behavioral sense, uh, do what she did. Anyway, thank you so much. Uh, everyone check out the book. It's not always right to be right. And other hard-won leadership lessons. You can tell Hamish knows what he's talking about, not only with the situational knowledge of being a president, a global brand leader of some of the biggest companies in the world, but also his personal journey and being able to apply a mindset, a heart set, and a handset to help us all. Thank you so much, Hamish, for helping us all to achieve our desired results. You have such great experience and wisdom. Just added to office hours, and thank you for your patience. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Hamish. Awesome. Eloquence and elegance uh, have been uh, the moniker for most of the people here. um, Absolutely. Dispelling Matt and I. Uh, But... Moreover, we have a quick question uh, as I have to get to the airport. We have Rick Johnson, and I am telling you, Rick is on a mission very aligned with what Brian and I are doing. As you know, my whole motivation behind and inspiration behind empowering over a billion people to be happy is the discern that I have for anxiety and, and suicide that is now, I thought it was bad before COVID, it's increased 50% in every demographic. And, uh, you know, I get in trouble for telling my wife this. I, I just don't understand suicide and it breaks my heart. Uh, and I know I have a vet of the United States Marine Corps for 34 years of service. So we always want to thank him for his service. But I have a, a military attitude towards, uh, you know, I ain't killing myself, but I may kill somebody else. You pissed me off enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but moreover, you created a product, uh, a compliant a HIPAA product that actually can digitize the assessment of, when people are at risk. Uh, and this is much needed for all age groups, all demographics, uh, all socioeconomic backgrounds. It is the fastest growing cause of death, uh, especially here in America. So Colonel, I wanna welcome you number one, Rick Johnson. I wanna thank you for your service, not just 
for 34 years in the Marines, but more importantly, your service to our country now, saving lives and empowering others. Uh, please, I, I know you're here to ask a quick question. We're going to have more time with you. I got to run to the airport, my, my, my guest. So if we could just handle a quick question and then I'd love for you to come back on some of my shows. Does that sound fair? That sounds great. I'd love to come back on. So, yeah. So my, my question is, we are uh, C-Corp, uh, Voy Incorporated. We're a Delaware corporation, and we're in the middle of our fundraise. We're doing both a traditional raise and also we're on WeFunder. And as, as a for-profit company trying to solve a societal problem, I guess I would be called a social entrepreneur, and our company would be called a social business. And we've approached several VCs and private equity firms to raise capital. And what I'm getting the sense is, is our mission, our social mission is not resonating with traditional firms that provide that type of funding. Any advice on how to raise capital with these traditional organizations would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Let me, let me just start real quick, B, and you can just add on. Yeah, you just go, bud. You know, my, my, my uh, philosophy is find open minds, open hearts and open hands. And unfortunately, the traditional venture capitals are not going to be aligned uh, on a, a social investment of impact. That being said, there are a lot and, you know, business advisory is one of them I'm thinking of. I probably have three or four introductions that I'll make for you, Rick. I, you know, you're falling into the trap of most entrepreneurs, whether it's with social impact or not. And it's. 80% of our time are spent with people that are bleeding us, meaning they're closed-minded. And we just have to shift our paradigm and start asking people that sit in a situation we want to be in, hey, do you know anyone that can help me? I'm trying to save lives. I have a lot of experience. I have a great company. I have a corporation I have opened up and I need help uh, in finding open minds from people like Brian and I, uh, because I do know social impact. There's uh, City Lights Capital in New York. There's business advisory. And I think instead of you know trying to re-engineer a vision of a closed mind and try to change the 34 years of history uh, in, you know, imagine if I told you, hey, I got this great idea for the Marine Corps. And you're like, Dave, for 34 years, they won't do that. You got a tough hoe to climb. But I do know people that do that already. <laughs> Why don't I introduce you to, you know, the Army? They've been doing it for 34 years. The Marines will never do it. Let me introduce you to the Army. Uh, that's my answer. And let's stop beating our head against the wall. Uh, with the closed-minded people that are traditional VCs, they're not going to fund this. Let's let me show you who will. B, you got something quickly to add? Yeah. Um, first, I just want to say I see all the medals behind you as well. So to tag on to what Dave said, you're highly, you're obviously highly decorated as well in our military, and and we are deeply in, in uh, grateful for your service. So thank you. Um, my my answer is is similar, but just a slight shift on this. Look, here's the thing: we know that there are hundreds of millions of people who are impacted by suicide every single day. So part of this is not only finding the open hearts, open minds, open hands, like what Dave outlined, but also how do you amplify the message to a place that it's going to reach those people? So I would focus on where do we amplify? Obviously, the fundraise is a big component, but you obviously have a social funding element as well that you had mentioned. And so part of this is how do you get to the right people who can distribute? I personally, I would say, let's touch base after this. I have a handful of people that run podcasts that run a few different things and do a lot of social amplification for suicide related causes and and fundraisers and so i would happily make those those connections with you as well because i think it's a combo of both finding the right fundraising to be able to su support it but you need to find the people who are going to amplify the message to get you to those people as well 
That, yeah, that would be great. I will note we we are starting to get a lot of traction. So we're at that point where I need you know uh, money to hire the right people to continue our growth. We're in the military. We're in correctional facilities. We just landed a contract for all the hospitals in Montana. So we're starting to see traction. We're just now at that point where we need money to grow. So that makes it even easier to articulate the quantitative value to exceed what you're asking for. You have the credibility, obviously the emotional connection. Let's just help you articulate the correct reasons, impacts and capabilities to the right people. So you have better statistical success. Thank you so much. Check out boy.health. Please reach out to Rick if you can help him or support him in any way. We also are of service and of value to you as you have been of service and of value to us our entire lives. Uh, This is the greatest country, by the way. It's the only place I'm telling you, I don't care what people say. There's no other country in the world. You can have nothing and have a possibility of being a trillionaire now. Uh, Just (laughs) take that. And that's only afforded uh, by great colonels and leaders like our friend Rick Johnson. Thanks so much, my friend. I'll see you soon. We're happy to support you. Thank you. Thanks. Safe travels. Thank you. All right, everyone. I got to jump to the airport uh, to check out the Black Diamond Club in Las Vegas. We're rocking and rolling. B, I, I, I'm going to be a little late for my plane, but you got to give me a 30-second takeaway so everybody gains value from today. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it faster than that. I think today it was really around surrender, raising our level of awareness and consciousness to the greatest place possible, aligning with the individuals in our life that we can do, and honoring the lives of those that have meant meaning to us. And I believe when we can do that, it, it touches on who we are, who we plan to impact, and all of the above. And so that's what I got very strongly channeled today. I love it. Mine is don't take for granted what other people are wishing for. Applicable to all of our guests, J.B. Crum, Pamela Shane House, of course, Hamish Thompson, and of course, the great Colonel Rick Johnson, and my friend, Brian Bogert. Check him out at Bogert Brian. My man, Brian, at brianbogert.com. He is on Breaking Beyond with Brian Bogert and David Meltzer. He is a dear friend. He, also is mentored by me, which shows his humility that he still is an intelligent follower and one of my best clients uh, and friends. Thank you so much, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk soon. You got it. All right, everyone. I got to run to the airport, but we do this every day so you know where to find me. And remember, most importantly, you can reach out to me for anything, david at dmelter.com. But most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks.